This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Screw the Drake. I love the Drake. everyone and welcome to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will follow his journey in the pages of the 90s 2000 ongoing Robin series and other notable comics of that era. We will also take a look at other Tim Drake appearances in DC Comics new and old to find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. <laughs> Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 92. The show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Your home for all things Tim Drake, Robin, and that Batman guy whom is celebrating 80 years, but. Tim Drake is celebrating 30 years. Uh, We are also associated with Batman on Films Podcast Network at BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. So between the two podcast network, TBU and BOF, you can get a hold of our show and a plethora of other shows about Batman and or Robin or Batgirl or Azrael. The whole entire Bat family. It's one big universe, one big network. Uh, you get a hold of us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. We are on Twitter, of course, at ELTD Podcast. We are on Instagram, and I'm trying to do a better job about getting stuff up on Instagram, but you can look for us there. You can email into the show at Robin ELTD Podcast at yahoo.com. And we are also on YouTube, both on our own YouTube page, which we're not uploading episodes there at the moment. Uh, Terrence and I are trying to work that out a little bit. He's just finishing up his school year, so we're going to try and get the YouTube channel active again. But you can hear the episodes day of release on the Batman Universe YouTube page, so you can hear the episodes there as well. And of course, we post them on the Facebook page and links over on Twitter as well. If you listen on iTunes, you can leave a review on iTunes for the show. Leave a nice little five-star review or four, three, two, or one. Whatever you uh, leave, we will read the uh, reviews on this show, and we're trying to get that done. We've just kind of been under the uh, under the time crunch recently because 
we have been prepping for the Bowling Green State University Popular Culture Conference about Batman. Uh, this took place on April 12th and 13th of 2019. Uh, you're going to hear Ryan and I in just a few minutes uh, talk about this, and you'll get to hear my panel and a discussion about the day. So I only had about a 30, 40 minute uh, window to record with Ryan today. It was really impromptu with our schedules, uh, but we had a nice discussion about uh, BG and got a chance to talk about our experience and what went on. Uh, this is going to be a two part episode since I was representing the Drake podcast and Ryan was representing BOF. Uh, the two shows are going to combine. At the time that the recording of this episode, Ryan has not recorded his Batman on film episode yet. So I cannot tell you the number of the episode, but it will be marked. Um, I will put a link out there once the BOF episode is up and running. So it was really cool to officially meet Ryan for the very first time and something that Ryan and I didn't get a chance to talk about that this was announced in early 2018. And at the time that this was announced, uh, once everything was announced and quote unquote finalized, there was a lot of moving pieces. Like once the schedule went out, then either people could make it or couldn't make it. So things had to get rearranged at times. Uh, Ryan and I were both going to be speaking at the same time, and there was no way for Ryan to be on the Drake side of it, and there was no way for me to be on the Batman on film side of it, which was our initial intention to begin with. So as we got closer to 2019, I think actually in January once, or February, excuse me, once the conference schedule had gone out, things started shifting a little bit. And from the time that I got my acceptance letter, I, of course, started writing and presenting. And I started writing my presentation with in mind that I was going to go on as a, as a solo speaker because Ryan was speaking at the exact same time in a different room. So I had all but completed my presentation. I think Ryan, he was doing his open-ended, like if there was room for a second person, that if something somehow worked out that I could easily hop on, or if I couldn't, he would go on on his own. I didn't present mine that way because I thought, well, there's no way. And looking at the time slots, I think mine was 10.15 and his was 10.15 as well. But there were a couple people that dropped off and things that needed to slide around. There was a gentleman that builds Batmobiles made to order that was coming to speak to Bowling Green, but he could only do it on the 10 o'clock timeframe uh, that he was, you know, traveling back and forth. So they asked me if I could shift mine to the 9 a.m., the very first session. And I thought, oh, well, that's, that's cool. That's no problem, which meant, well, hey, if Ryan was speaking around 10 o'clock and I'm speaking at nine, we could effectively do them both at the same time. And I felt kind of bad telling Ryan, I'm like, since we were about a week out, I said this would almost have to be a complete rewrite on my end to try and fit Ryan in at that point. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. That's cool. You know, we're just getting a chance to meet up and hang out. And Ryan still graciously had me present on his Nightfall panel and the BOF panel. So I had the distinct privilege of speaking on three different panels, the Tim Drake panel, the Nightfall panel that was Ryan's uh, main panel, and then the Batman on film 
panel with he and Trey. So that was really cool that the three of us got to spend a good chunk of time together. And the only panel I didn't get a chance to hear was Trey's because with some of the reorganizing, he was now speaking in Ryan's original time slot. And Ryan got a little farther push for his nightfall panel on Saturday. And the Batman on film panel was later, was actually the last panel that uh, was done on Friday in the main conference room. So I'm really eager to hear Trey's panel coming up on uh, the BOF podcast. So that'll be fun to uh, listen to uh, once Ryan gets that put together. It was a very, very busy day and a lot of, Moving back from room to room, if you chose to do so, because they had multiple panels going on at the same time. Big hats off to Bowling Green State University. They really did a masterful job of bringing all of these people in, literally from all parts of the globe. As far away as India, I think, was the farthest that somebody had traveled from this was really cool to bring a bunch of academics together to talk and learn to one another. And then some guy in his house in Ohio that does a podcast, he got a chance to speak, meaning this guy. So it was a really good time. I was in contact with Chuck Coletta quite a bit and uh, hats off to him and his partner for getting all of this put together. Again, being a native of Ohio and spending a lot of time playing in some bars and clubs in the Bowling Green area, Howard's, if anybody is lives around Bowling Green, Howard's was the first club I played in in Bowling Green in my band days, banging on the drums. Spent a lot of time at the mall and movies and just uh, at Finders, Tapes, Records, and CDs there in Bowling Green. I still love to hang out in Bowling Green. I am a BGSU Falcon fan, so um, I have very, very fond and good memories of not being a student there, of just being somebody that loved the city of Bowling Green. And uh, BGSU represented Batman very well, and their popular culture library is bar none one of the best in the country, and rightfully so. So I'm going to quit blathering right here. I'm going to kick it over to Ryan and I discussing the BGSU conference and our experience with it. And then you will get to hear my presentation and the Q&A from Bowling Green State University and then some final thoughts at the end. And welcome to the show. Falcons on 
Well, this is our impromptu little session here. It's been crazy trying to get this segment for Everyone Loves the Drake, and I can't even imagine what Ryan's trying to juggle uh, with BOF trying to get that segment. <laughs> BOF uh, has been ridiculous, too. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. Right. So there's the voice of Ryan. This Hi. <laughs> this podcast wasn't even planned. I wasn't feeling real well this morning. I looked at my wife. I'm like, I ain't going to work. And had vacation time, so I put in for it. And I thought, oh, what the hell? I'll just send Ryan a text. He's probably going to be at work. I know he's not going to be able to record. And a couple hours went by, and I thought, well, I didn't get to see Batman Forever in the movie theater. I'm going to watch it at home. And I know more <laughs> and hit play, and I get a message from Ryan that's like, yeah, cool. We could do something. <laughs> so, yeah. Somebody stopped me from watching Batman Forever again. No. Mm. First it was my mother. Now it's Ryan Haas. But that's cool. So like you heard... Wait for 4K. Wait for 4K. That's right. (laughs) I want to see how it is on the uh, DVD Blu-ray. And then when the 4K comes, I'll rewatch it again and go, ooh. Yeah. ah." Now, now before we even get into the topic, these these Batman theatrical screenings, have you seen any of them thus far? Uh, I've seen Batman 89. So... Okay. um, when I first read about it, I thought everything was going to be on Saturday. I thought, oh, cool. But it bounced around from mm-hmm. a Saturday to a Tuesday to a Sunday to, well, I think, Batman Tuesday. and... Back to a Tuesday. So Batman and Robin is, I think, tomorrow? Batman and is Robin that- is tomorrow, the 14th. Yeah. I, I saw... I, w- I have tickets for all four, but I was not able to see Batman 89 because, again, th- we, we tr- we've been trying to record this segment for a while and... and, <laughs> and Last week or the weekend, not last weekend, but the one before that, I guess, where um, they had Batman eighty nine. We were thinking about recording, but then right. my daughter got super sick, and she had been sick all week, and she had a high temperature, and then you, you lost your voice, voice. <laughs> at the same Which, time. It's still a little. It's it's been a lot better, but I could still feel a little raspiness. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know when I go to edit this thing, I'm, I'm going to go. Oh God, you sound horrible. <laughs> so, but uh, but I, I so I didn't see that, but I did see Batman Returns. So I Monday. I know you and I have shared, personally, the experiences between the two, but just for the listeners, seeing 89, I didn't get a chance to see the 75th um, or the 30th anniversary. No, no, no. It'd be the, the Batman 75. I think there were a couple, I'm using air quotes. Five local, years ago? Yeah, five years ago. There were little uh, local theaters around. I'm local, meaning it was almost 100 miles to go see it. And I'm like, oh, I really want to go see 89, but... Mm. It's it's a little too far away to to justify going. All right, I've I've got it on Blu-ray. I can watch it on Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, a couple th- of years ago they had like the the theaters that do like the the flashback cinema stuff. Yes, they yeah. had that there, and that's when I saw it in theater. And I and they did that over two different days, and I saw it twice. Yeah, so I didn't so, feel the pressure to have to go see eighty nine in theater again. I wish right. I would have though. Because these screenings that they're doing around the country are in promotion for the upcoming 4K releases, and they yeah. are—they have been sourced. The video and audio have been sourced from the new 4K masters that they, they've been doing. So, if you see these in theaters and you think they look a little better than you remember, that would be why. Yeah, seeing 89 again was really cool. And you know, my wife's a few years younger than I am. She's like, "Oh, I remember watching this." So it was really cool for her to see it on the big screen that she the only way she ever saw it was in like home video release so she thought that was pretty cool and then i this now makes the i've seen batman 89 five times in the theater four times back in the day so Mm -hmm. it's the batman movie i've seen in the theater the most um i I was like tied for forever and the dark knight (laughs) this one so it's cool that 89 is that way but the picture quality was just razor sharp and the sound in our theater was 
bananas. It was so stinking loud. It's the loudest I've ever been in a movie theater. So I think they had just had it turned up for whatever reason. So like you could hear the batarang just zip around, but that was also the cool thing. You could really hear all of the, and it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I, I heard a sound I never heard before. But in some cases, the mix was so much better. Yeah, things weren't muffled under, you know, explosions mm-hmm. and the music, which is all cool. You could hear stuff like the, uh, the thing that I noticed when, Batman sends the Batmobile into Axis Chemicals and goes into like the uh, not camouflage but the shield mode and it sends yeah. out the little bomb. You hear it hit the ground, go plink, 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 uh-huh. and then you you could hear that. But in the theater, it was just like plink, 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 plink. You know, you could yeah. hear the echo and the reverb. And then when yeah. the Batmobile's driving out, you can hear the explosions and just things bouncing off of the Batmobile and like wood. So that was kind of cool to hear just mm-hmm. some more foliage. And then I was noticing yeah. out like of, out of out of the four. Burton Schumacher movies, the 89 sound mix is the one that is the oldest. I, I believe Batman yeah. Returns was the, one of the first Dolby surround movies, I yeah, think. You might be right. So there was less to do with, with the other three movies. And, and they've done new Dolby Atmos mixes for these 4K Blu-rays. So 89, I think, got the most love. Similar to what they did for Superman the movie last year right. when that came out on 4K. But yeah, that that was cool to see eighty nine. I really wanted like the ones I wanted to see. I thought, well, if I get to see Batman and Robin, eh, cool, why not? But I really wanted to see in order were you know eighty nine forever. And if I had the opportunity to see Returns, and I think Returns was on a Tuesday, is that right? It was a Monday. Oh, Monday, that's right. So that that was just and then out of Batman mind. and Robin is a is a Tuesday. A Tuesday yeah, it was right. it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how was your experience? I mean. 89 was was cool and I, we stayed through the whole credits and uh yeah. heard scandalous and everything like that so it was cool to yeah. and they had the intro from ralph garman from the dc from the universe. dc universe app yep. yeah so that's so did, the, that's what happened for returns as well okay they had the, the the dc universe introduction to batman returns and you see the movie uh it was a great experience just seeing that it was the first time so i've seen 89 in the theater fairly recently but the other three, I haven't seen them since I was a kid, seeing them in the theater for the first time. So when I sat down to see Batman Returns, it had I hadn't seen it in a, in a theater since I was four. <laughs> so, so am I correct in saying that the last three Returns Forever and Batman and Robin have not mm-hmm. had a theatrical release since its initial release? Is that correct? Well, I don't know if if they've been cut. Co- they could have been covered in some of these more local theater okay. chains or the or the flashback cinema stuff. I know there's a lot of other smaller chains that have done them in the past, okay. but this on a nationwide level in, in terms of a fathom fathom event, I think it's probably the first time in or maybe ever that that's happened yeah. this way. And I got to give a little shout out to Pete Vera, uh, BOFer <laughs> and uh, resident Drake uh, guest that. In the theater for Batman Forever, he's like, "Here, buddy, sent me a text," and he filmed <laughs> the, oh, the I've opening. seen a lot of people have done yeah. that that have been seeing these. Like Bill Bill Ramey from Bof, he he saw he was super excited to see Batman eighty nine in the theater, and he, yeah. and he did the same thing. He took some screenshots <laughs> of the screen just to like commemorate, you know, remember right, the occasion. Yeah. 
But Pete sent me the I'll get drive through sequence. I mean, as quick as yeah. that was. So I saw the Batmobile come up and then spin around and Alfred, you know, deliver his line. And I hear Pete go, that's for you, buddy. So <laughs> I thought that was that was kind of funny. So thanks. So yeah. technically, I did get to see it just yeah. through his small little phone. <laughs> Returns was cool. And I did, you know, the the uh, the audio was the thing that surprised me the most. Hearing it in a nice big theater with the with the. Mm-hmm. With that appropriate level of sound, any time the Batmobile came uh, up, it was just loud and rumbling. And that's something that you forget when you watch the movies. You know, as we know, production-wise, Batman Returns was filmed in California, right? Like it was, right. they moved it because Batman '89 was in the UK, yep, and they moved the production to the U.S. for Batman Returns, and and it was filmed a lot on on studio, like a, a studio uh, lot. Studio lot, yep. And so, like, it feels a little bit more crammed and claustrophobic. The the There's a lot of crowd scenes in, in you know, the press talking to people, and but it always feels pretty anemic. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> yeah. Gotham really this small. But, <laughs> right. Um, but the sound was able to help fill that out when I saw it in the, th- in the theater because every time like the Batmobile comes on, it's like it's like super loud and uh, the bass just filled the theater and it was pretty awesome. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool that they're doing this for you know the 80th anniversary and it's nice that they're it's not okay. We did it for the month of May and then think every month there's going to be some type of thing whether it's comics or movies animated. The, you know, there's even a new Lego Batman family. A movie that's coming out in June or something like that. So they're they're really doing like an all out year for Batman. So it's going to be interesting yeah. to look back at December and say, oh wow, look at all of this stuff that has come out. So that's been pretty cool. And speaking of Batman's 80th, Ryan and I both attended Bowling Green State University's Batman BGSU conference, their pop culture symposium and academic event that they held and this was a really interesting and cool and surreal is really uh, weird to say i got Mm -hmm. a chance to meet ryan face to face some other and for the first time and it's funny ryan and i were joking sorry terrence that we have to travel this whole distance ryan has to come to ohio and i've spent more time with ryan than terrence has been able to spend with ryan living in the same state so yeah um, yeah, we live we live down the street from each other, and we haven't seen each other, <laughs> met each other yet, and and had spent all this money and time and effort, and I've already already met Rob. So right, thanks uh, a lot, yeah. Terrence. <laughs> and Terrence isn't here because you know he didn't get to play with us. <laughs> no, we're, we're kidding, we're kidding. But I think the event was really cool, and I was going back yeah. through. Um, as far as I could tell, from when I replied to BGSU. Earliest date that I have is like May 20-something, I think, of 2018. I think they may have been posting on Twitter about this. Could be around the first of the year, but I was guessing it's probably going to be sometime around March. But they have been tweeting, you know, constantly about this. And I think I, Michael Flicker, I hopefully I'm saying your name correct. I think he tagged me in a Twitter post that says, hey, Rob, you ought to check this out. And when I saw it was BG, I thought... Oh, it's probably Bowling Green, Kentucky, or it's another Bowling Green. And I'm like, oh, it's Bowling Green, Ohio. Well, that's 40 minutes from where I live. So then I started getting a little more excited about it. Like, well, I need to check and see 
what this is going to be. When I read about it, it was talking about academic papers, and I started going, I am not, that is not me, sir. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> how, did you, how did you get involved in it? Or did somebody send it to you? Did, did I send it to you and have forgotten? Uh, I think the, so the, the folks behind this academic conference were really, uh, their outreach was pretty great because yeah. they really wanted a wide representation of, of, of not just academic people, but they wanted academics and comic book creators and people from the fan perspective that do podcasts or blogs or, or websites or whatever, uh, related to these characters. And so, you know, I, so they reached out to you, they reached out to Bill at BOF and by extension me and everybody that was in, that's involved in BOF. And they even did, went so far as to like, I have a, you know, the, the upcoming Azrael podcast has its own Twitter at Azrael podcast. And they even contacted us there. It was like, Hey, do you want to do a thing about Azrael? Like, so they, so they were asking everybody because they really wanted this as much representation as they could get, which is great for something like an academic conference where a big part of what you could and should get out of it is, is, is that representation. It, it would suck to go to a thing like that and see, you know, a bunch of 45 year old white dudes talk about Batman. <laughs> right. Like, right, right. So, and, and, and to their credit, I think it really worked. The, mm-hmm. I thought that the, the balance was really interesting at that conference. And between you, me and Trey Jackson, uh, who were, you know, the, that's the BOF slash Drake crossover between the three of us, we were on four panels, right. but that was only a small, percentage of of the amount of panels and i think we represented a pretty important part of what they wanted to represent there but they also had you know comic book creators and keynote speakers and mm-hmm. and a lot of really cool and interesting panels from people too and not only that but our home base of the batman universe you had josh and donovan and stella mm-hmm. all presenting so not only was bof represented but the batman universe was represented as well exactly so, we took up a a decent chunk of the fan spectrum, but Stella is also a teacher, so she had that podcasting angle and having being a teacher as well. So you had papers from not only just including our group, but the psyche of you know what what makes a, a villain a villain. Can the Joker be held accountable for uh, his actions? You had uh, love and romance, and you had uh, political views on Batman, and just uh, there were music segments. Somebody that uh, had just retired from the pop culture that uh, like, was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just the, that panel was uh, cool. Getting to see the screen test costumes from Burt Ward. Uh, and Delisle Wagner and, uh, you know, Adam West <laughs> yeah. and, uh, getting to see those in person. I think Ryan and I were tweeting and I got it. That was a off. highlight. Yeah. That was really cool to see. And hats off to Ryan. If you were watching his Twitter feed, sitting right next to the guy as all his posts were going up, he was, <laughs> he was feverishly <laughs> at one point, my wife's like, what is he doing? I was like, he's posting like a madman. And it it was cool to, cool to see that. You not only were tweeting from our perspective, but I think you captured every single panel that we were in attendance to. You had pictures, you yeah. had their names. So yep. Um, so if you go, yeah. So it's still my pin tweet. If you go to my Twitter at smb underscore ryan, it is my pin tweet of the 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 conference coverage that I did. And then when Rob's right, what I it kind of started out as like, oh, I'll just take a couple of tweets or pictures. But once I got <laughs> into it and realized that. 
you know, I, I had come so far, I, I didn't, uh, I decided not to let up. So yeah, I, I, there's at, at least a tweet and photo of every single panel that, that me and Rob attended and or presented at, along with, um, some other things that, that went on during the, uh, the conference and it's all in line. So I kept it all in the same thread. So it's just nice giant thread of yeah. everything. So you can kind of go back and kind of experience, uh, what we experienced. Uh, what were some highlights uh, for you, other than getting to meet me, of course? Um. <laughs> yeah, well, that was obviously the the best part. And, you know, for real, though, because we've been yeah. doing this podcast for so long, and it, it just seemed like – and it's and it's not just like, hey, let's just meet up or whatever. It's It was right. actually for a for a Batman-related thing. I mean, some of the things you that you mentioned uh, were already uh, some of the, the highlights. Seeing those screen test costumes along with a presentation was really cool because they uh, even let us go and see the uh, the costumes and and take pictures with them and uh, and of them and that was that was definitely a highlight. Panel wise, there was one panel that I just thought was just absolutely brilliant, which was um, I'm going to butcher his name, but it was uh, Jason Salentis and his presentation was on uh, it was titled. The world's greatest detective at the movies, recontextualizing and decontextualizing, yeah. recontextualizing and decontextualizing Batman's investigative techniques or lack thereof. And what he, what this guy did, this awesome guy, is he went through every theatrical Batman film and then found these metrics for uh, detective work, and he broke it down into like crime scene investigations, deputizations, data analysis, mm-hmm. you know, solving riddles <laughs> and surveillance. And, and he like went through all the Batman movies and tallied up how much detective, exactly how much detective work is in each film. And so he had these awesome graphs that you could um, <laughs> compare and contrast, like which movies had the most or least detective work. And <laughs> um, surprisingly, the, like the 60s Batman movie had like, it, if it wasn't the highest one, it was pretty darn close to the, to the highest actual scientific detective work that you could, you know, categorize in. And um, my one of my favorite parts is when he got to The Dark Knight Rises, he thought that John Blake was one of the most actual correct representations <laughs> of somebody doing detective work in the entire Batman spectrum. So I thought that was pretty pretty great so there was that there was the uh the keynote with mike Barr. that That was was great great. yeah yeah we were excited to see him because he he's been involved in some pretty important milestones and he contributed had some really important contributions to batman batman's history you know with batman and the outsiders and katana he wrote batman year two and it's Mm -hmm. follow-up as well so uh, we wrote you know he was just he just it was just like a fireside chat with him. He just like got to come in and talk for like an hour about his him and his career and Batman and stuff. And that was just that was great. I w- I really wish I would have recorded that panel because that was that was a definitely a highlight. And then he stayed afterwards and uh, signed comics for people. And and me and Rob were smart enough to <laughs> to <Right>. have <laughs> brought things to for him to get signed. So that was a highlight because yeah. I think we really maximized our time at this thing because we 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 treated it as like a threefold thing like like we get to meet each other and do this batman conference and treat it kind of like a mini comic book convention kind of thing right. too uh so that that worked out really well the whole pop culture angle was something that really fascinated me here because i didn't realize this that 
that Bowling Green State University is one of the few colleges in the country where you can get a degree in pop culture studies, which is just super yeah. interesting and and stuff. Like, man, 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 if I knew that, maybe I would have, <laughs> maybe I would have gone there. They have this great giant pop culture library, and it's and they categorize all kinds of things that most libraries wouldn't. But they had things like. They save like fan magazines and movie posters and yeah. toys and cards and comics and it's all stuff that the public you can go there and check stuff out. And a lot of it is like you have to like check it out while you're there and just look at it, you know, right, right, or for your own purposes. But but it's a great library and they were doing tours while we were there, so we got to go up there and see some of their some of their stuff. Like I have some pictures on, on the Twitter thread of uh, what they had. Like they had like detective comics 71 and Batman posters and the big graphic novel section. And, but it was just really fascinating to go see that. And the other cool thing was that uh, we got to hang out with the uh, <laughs> co-creator of, of uh, blue devil and amethyst. That yeah. was awesome. Uh, <laughs> super unexpected, super unexpected. And, you know, there was so much going on to split between a couple different rooms. And you and I both, I think, about snapped our heads. I, I'm trying to remember what panel it was, but somebody behind us was talking about, oh, from when I worked at DC, as far as uh, <laughs> publishing and, and creating and talking about characters, we like whipped around like, who is that? So, like, we're both on our phones. I think you sent me a picture, like, it's Dan Michigan. And we're like, He's here in the same room. Yeah. So we got to hear him speak just like as just an academic in, in the back of the room asking a question. So we thought, well, we'll just go up and say hi, get a get a photo with him and shake his hand if we can without seeming too nerdy. And uh, so we walked up with him and uh, shook his hand. Really nice guy. And we, there's a photo of Trey and Ryan and myself and uh, Dan is showing off his shoes or his uh, socks, which his I socks. thought was really funny. And we were talking for a little bit and he's like, well, we can carry on the conversation if you want You all want to uh, grab a bite to eat. And I was like, he was oh. like, I was looking, he yeah, he's like, I was looking for somebody to eat lunch with and you guys were nice enough to introduce yourselves. So let's go eat lunch. So we, so all three of us, <laughs> me, Rob and Trey and, and your wife, Ellen yeah. all joined uh Michigan, you know, comic book writer co-creator of blue devil and amethyst (laughs) we went and ate lunch for like two hours you know that was the thing is this 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 uh conference was like crammed with with stuff and there there wasn't much time in between panels to to like do anything because there was only like five or ten minutes between them and then if anything got off track it just kind of like snowballed through the rest of the day and it happened both days and they had all the panels taking place in between two different rooms. So there was no way you could see everything if you wanted to, which is just the nature of the beast with these kind of things. So we had to, uh, both days, I think, and, and that was no exception. We had to like skip a whole panel's worth of time just to yeah. have some breathing room. And, and, but that was, was, was great because we got to eat lunch and, and just chat with, with Dan Mishkin for, for quite a while. And that was great. Yeah. And talking about other panels, I'm going to butcher uh, these two gentlemen's name, but I loved their panel, and it was towards the very tail end. Oh of yes, Saturday. The guys from uh, BT Docs. From BT Docs, yeah. Uh, Praven and Vasilis, if I'm saying your name right, I apologize, sir. Two incredibly cool gentlemen, and 
not that I wasn't riveted on everybody else's panel. There was so much to take in, but it being towards the very end. It was towards the very end of the thing. And we were like completely exhausted. It was like two days of like hardcore analysis of these characters. And we're just (laughs) like brain download, like overload. But they got into this really cool – their panel was really cool. It was called Unlocking Arkham Forensic Psychiatry and Batman's Rogues Gallery. And they really got deep into um, you know, some of the issues with, with things like Arkham Asylum. And mm-hmm. is it appropriate to have uh, that represented in the way it is in comics and stuff like that? And I got to tell you that going through all of that and my wife going, oh, it was great seeing you, know, you guys speak. That was her favorite panel. Uh, as much as she likes, you know, Law and Order and you know CSI and all that stuff, they were speaking right into her wheelhouse, and she talked about that the whole ride home. And I jokingly, I go, I, I spoke too, <laughs> <laughs> and you spoke first. You were you were one of the first people that had oh. to get up there and do a presentation. Yeah, so we're gonna go into that, and I know Ryan's time is short, so the rest of the show is probably gonna be built around uh, me towards the tail end here. I do have it recorded. Unfortunately, my Uh-oh. first it, it, the audio is there. It's not up to the quality at which I would like it, and also being first, actually technically I was second. Not knowing what to expect, I had trouble with the stupid clicker for a little bit, but I think when I turned the microphone on, I spun it around away from me thinking the microphone's coming towards me and it was going away from me. So it sounds a little echoey. And so after I was done speaking, I shut it off and there was another uh, person that presenting next to me and I didn't know if I was supposed to stay up there or sit down. So I went back and sat down and my wife's like, you probably should have stayed up there. I was like, well, shit, I'm, I'm sitting down here now. So when I went back up, I turned the microphone back on and caught the Q and a. So unfortunately I'm not going to, there's some weird hissing in the, my presentation part. So what you're going to hear me is basically re-record that my panel. Oh, you're, d- you're doing the classic Drake thing of, of I, re-recording. I'm re-recording audio, audio. <laughs> <laughs> but the part that I am glad is intact. It sounds good. Maybe as an outro, you can hear, I won't play the whole thing, but it's, it's not the best quality, but the really good quality is the Q and a that was afterwards. Oh, so the Q and a is actually from Bowling Green, but my presentation is technically not from the day. What you're getting ready to hear is my uh, last practice run I did before I went to sleep that night, getting ready for Bowling Green. I went well, through some context. Did you any recorded it? Then? And, and I recorded, I recorded, I have five versions of this that I was wanting to get it down to about a 13-minute mark in recording, in uh, presenting. The first time I did it, it was about 20 minutes, and I'm like, man, I got to I gotta breathe a little bit more because I was like, eh, you know, like rushing through, and I kind of felt that way at the day of, but I trimmed a couple other things out of it, and I got it at a sweet spot for about 13 because I thought I don't want to be the one that goes over because I, I don't want to get podcasty and be real lengthy. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing you're going to get ready to hear is my final practice run that I can give you the time. It was at 1030 the night before Bowling Green. And uh, I, I told my wife, I said, I, I want to do it one more time. And then I listened to it 
immediately afterwards. And I would take this recording back and forth to work and then I would shut it off. I turn the volume down and start reciting it and seeing if I could get it in that sweet spot. So that's how I, mm. I drove back and forth to work the last uh, couple weeks before the event to see if I could have it mostly memorized or if I got lost in what was going on, I could find a way back. So that's what right. you're going to. So that works out because of the nature of what your presentation is. It's just you, you know, and, and it's a recited thing. The other panels, which uh, I don't know if you're going to put this at the beginning or the end or whatever, but, but uh, the part two to this kind of podcast is, is going to transition on to uh, an episode of the BOF podcast. Mm-hmm. And we're going to show, we're going to play the audio for the other three panels that, that we, three of us were involved in somehow uh some so it's going to be the uh the batman on film panel and the nightfall panel and uh trey Trace. jackson's panel on the on the dark knight trilogy yeah and so I, we i'm got, really excited to hear that because mm-hmm. uh, he was speaking yeah, at, I, at, at a different time yeah exactly he he's he started at the same time he was at the same time as, as your panel your right. the robin panel in a different room, so we weren't able to uh, watch watch his panel, but he recorded it, and we recorded audio of all three. Again, they're they're not as good as a podcast quality, but but they're definitely listenable. So yeah. So once uh, once we're done here, you can hopefully by the time this is out, uh, the BOF episode will also be out, and you can just listen to both and get the full full experience. Yeah. Without without further ado, here is my final practice run. Sorry, guys. Stick around for the credits. I'll play a portion of the original. And then uh, the Q&A that happened at the Bowling Green State University. And you can hear the other two panelists as well answer a question. So three, two, one, Bowling Green. Hello. I am honored I was chosen to speak here today on Tim Drake, Batman's third Robin, whom is celebrating 30 years. Oh, this is for Batman's 80th? Wow, a little heads up, guys, would have been nice. All kidding aside, Batman just turned 80 this last month. Now, I was also serious when I said Tim Drake, Batman's third Robin, celebrates 30 years this year. I host a podcast all about Tim Drake, aptly titled Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. We just celebrated five years ourselves on our show. When I boil my fandom down to Batman, it comes down to one thing, one point. Robin, yes, Tim Drake. But more importantly, as a whole, the idea and the concept of Robin and what Robin means to Batman. Now, I know that there are some sitting here saying, Tim Drake? I thought Dick Grayson was Robin. He was, but did you know there have been five to wear the mantle of Robin? Dick Grayson... Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, Tim Drake again, Damian Wayne, that's Bruce Wayne's son, and Tim Drake again. Currently in DC Comics, there are two Robins running around, Damian Wayne and Tim Drake. This is one happy Robin fan. But we will leave all the ins and outs of who became Robin when. For that information, go check out a podcast, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. I want to talk for a brief moment on where this all started, using two books, i.e. stories, graphic novels, to tell the story of Batman and Robin, and Tim Drake to a degree. They are Batman Year 3 and A Lonely Place of Dying. The book runs numerically with Batman 436 through Batman 440, which also includes the new Teen Titans 60 and 61. The basic plot is Dick Grayson, now known as Nightwing, has left Gotham and is forged out on his own and is wondering if he is the man he should be. 
and wondering if the rift between he and Bruce can ever be fixed. Can you ever truly go back home? It's intermixed with the flashback story that I'd like to speak on for this moment. The night that everything changed. We all know the story of Batman. The Waynes take their eight-year-old son to go see a movie, Zorro. And on their way home, Thomas and Martha Wayne are gunned down in front of their eight-year-old son by a random act of violence. The movies want to play it like it was some mob conspiracy that Thomas Wayne would not bend to the rules of the mob. Or that Batman's greatest villain killed his parents. Batman 8981. I think the comics got it right. It works better as a random mugging that could not have been stopped. This is Batman's whole motivation. No child will ever have to suffer what I went through. No one. His mission is singular. It's personal. He was eight years old. A gun should not have caused the loss of his parents like this. Fast forward to Batman Year 3, released in August of 1989. In the flashback story, Haley Circus has come to town. The circus will bring all walks of life to Gotham. As with any traveling carnival, there is bound to be some shady individuals lurking to take advantage. Surely Batman will be on the scene this night. No, Bruce Wayne is in attendance in the crowd. Why? There is a traveling carnival in Gotham City, and Batman is not out on patrol? How could this be possible? He swore an oath to his parents that no child will suffer as he did. He has gone out night after night and returned home, bloodied, broken, and bruised for his mission. It does not say in the story, but there is only one person that I can think that would get to the heart of Bruce Wayne, Alfred. On numerous occasions, Alfred has said that he can do more for Gotham City as Bruce Wayne than Batman. Bruce can give resources to the city, not his life. He can be the face of Gotham, not the knight. Alfred has raised Bruce as a child to where he is today. There have been many occasions in the comics and in movies where Alfred has pleaded his case to Bruce and succeeded. In the Christopher Nolan films, Batman Begins, Alfred tells Bruce, what does someone like Bruce Wayne do with his time and money? Drives sports cars, dates movie stars, buys things that are not for sale. You start pretending to have fun, you might have a little by accident. Could it have been that simple for Bruce Wayne to think, it's one night, it's the circus. I should be able to take one night for myself just for some fun. The night is sponsored by Wayne Enterprises. I'm sure that was something that Alfred also suggested to Bruce. He needs to be there. He needs to be the face for Gotham. While that is going on, the main part of the story is Dick Grayson's. The Flying Grayson's trapeze artist, John and Mary, and young son Dick Grayson are making their way through the crowded circus to perform that night when they are met by Jack and Janet Drake and their young son, Timothy. Tim is so excited to meet the Graysons, especially Dick, since he is the only boy to ever perform the quadruple somersault from the trapeze. Timothy even gets to sit on Dick's lap and has a picture with the young acrobat before they take the stage. The Drakes go to their tent for the show and the Graysons make their way to the stage. On their way to the stage, Dick overhears Mr. Haley in the office, arguing with three men, something about protection, and Mr. Haley is not wanting to be part of it. The three men leave the trailer, and Dick hears one of them say, Make it happen. You know what to do. Dick hears a name Zuko. Tony Zuko. Dick races to his parents to tell him what he has heard, but it's showtime. And Dick's father says, After the show, you can tell me after the show. Dick is up first. He does amazing things on the trapeze without the safety of the net. 
and the audience is in awe, including Bruce Wayne, with some model named Chase something or other, and the Drakes. Tim is mesmerized by Dick's finale, the quadruple somersault. Dick lands on the platform and the trapeze swings back to his parents, John and Mary Grayson. They reach out to start their act. John swings out first, away he swings, and then back to grab his wife. They lock hands and swing back up in the air, and then the line breaks, then the fall. This is not how the night was supposed to go, and Bruce Wayne knows it. Bruce Wayne disappears into the panicked crowd, and seconds later, the Batman arrives on the scene. It's in this moment that everything changed for Batman. He learns from young Dick Grayson that there was a man named Zuko arguing with Mr. Haley. Batman finds out that Zuko and his men tampered with Grayson's trapeze and murdered them to get at Mr. Haley. This is the very thing, the very reason why Batman existed in the first place, to make sure that nothing like this happened to another child, like him. In the film Batman Forever, Bruce tells Alfred the innocent aren't faceless anymore when referring to this moment. Some ask why Batman would take on such a young partner. In the 2010 animated series Young Justice, Wonder Woman questions this very statement to Batman on why he would introduce Dick into crime fighting at such a young age. Bruce tells her that Dick needed to bring the men responsible for his parents' murder to justice. Wonder Woman says to Batman, so he could turn out just like you? Bruce says, no, so he wouldn't. So he wouldn't be consumed with anger and vengeance. Batman needs a Robin. Robin is now the physical embodiment of why he is doing this, the constant reminder. His mission is no longer a personal one. This also explains why Alfred takes an extra special interest to the attention of the Robins that have come into the cave. He also feels responsible. Dick also takes the loss of his parents differently. Granted, they were murdered, but they were doing a job that at any moment could cause them to die. It's not like they were working at Lowe's department store and a rake falls on their head and kills them. Dick had that life and death discussion at a much younger age than Bruce did. So when the dust settled, his grieving process was different. And now Dick had guidance from someone that had gone through it too. The colors of Robin are bright and full of life. That is what Robin brings to Batman's dark world. Robin keeps Batman from slipping into that dark abyss and gives him a moral compass. Where does the story go from here? Well, people grow up. Dick grows up and joins the Teen Titans and finally decides to leave Batman's side and become his own man, his own hero, Nightwing. Batman would find another Robin in Jason Todd, a street kid that is bullheaded and if he's not careful, will get himself killed. Sadly, that is what happens at the hands of the Joker. This sends Batman down that dark road to the abyss. He is careless and reckless and almost doesn't care if he lives or dies at this point. The death of Robin has all but destroyed him. Remember that boy named Tim Drake that was at the circus the night the Graysons died, who was so captivated by Dick's skills? He has been studying Batman and Robin and has even watched news footage of the dynamic duo. And there it was, the quadruple somersault. Robin performed it exactly like Dick Grayson, the only boy to ever do it. Grayson was Robin. Grayson was adopted by Bruce. Later, Dick leaves for college. No Robin. Then Bruce gets a new ward, Jason. Then Jason Todd dies. No Robin. Bruce Wayne is Batman. And Batman has been seen on the news being reckless, 
Batman needs a Robin again. So Tim Drake sets off on an adventure to help Batman. For this story, check out A Lonely Place of Dying, my personal favorite Robin and Batman story ever told. A certain podcast explains all of that book. Just saying. I will leave you with two quotes. One is from Tim Drake when talking to Batman on why he needs a Robin. Tim says, If they think they can kill someone like Robin, who are they going to hunt down next? I don't know why you decided to wear that costume, but it makes you a symbol, just like Robin was a symbol. And this isn't just a symbol of law. It's a symbol of justice. When a policeman is killed, others take up his mantle because justice can't be stopped. Batman needs a Robin, no matter what he thinks. The final quote is from Dick Grayson from the Batman and Robin Eternal comic to the three other Robins. We are not doing this for recognition. We are doing it because sometimes the world needs a helping hand, a grin in the dark, leading them to safety. That is what he saw in us. And that's what he knew we could do for the world. Even if he fell, we are Robins and our work isn't close to being finished. My name is Rob Myers. Thank you very much. How many near misses does it take to accumulate uh, a subgenre that we might put within? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Carol's primarily engaged in this project trying to understand what constitutes genres. He doesn't really give us an account of what would what would make something like a genuine subgenre. I mean, I think the natural thing to say here is that when you've got genres, you've got standard contrastanding features. It's like weird if you have a detective story that's also a musical. It's weird if you have a western that's set in space. Um, and so, one thing you might start asking is like, look, when is it the case that you have enough instances within the genre that have contrastandard features that they start becoming their own genre. Um, I, I don't really have much to say about what makes a subgenre distinctive or unique, but I think it's I mean, it's got to be that, that case where you're accumulating all these kind of universal monsters or riffs thereof into classic protagonist kind of superhero butt-picking, and then it's arguably the case that, you know, you've got a new genre. And so, I mean, here, here's what surely isn't right, that you give a taxonomy and characterization of what genres are, in like 1990, and you're done because there's never going to be new ones. Um, so I, I, I think you're right. That's that, those are the questions to ask. I got no answers. I just wondered if you had heard, um, you'd seen the, the Scare Beast story. No. Uh, what do you got for me? So that's um, it's it's it was after Batman Hush and Tooth the Number. It's like in the 60s, 30s or something like that. Okay. Scarecrow actually turns into a monster. Ooh, all right, awesome. Like a real monster. Yes, I maybe. I don't remember how it ends. It might not end. Correct, but uh, yes, yeah. is that awesome? Thank you. Into a monster, so, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. I'm gonna write that one down. There's one way back there. Yeah, uh, actually, my, my question is along the lines of yours. Uh, so I see your point about Batman not quite lining up with Carol's definition of horror. Uh, but I mean, can't we say Batman is awfully horror adjacent? So this this is a rich guy who dresses up in a bat costume and goes out and beats up people. I mean that. That sounds like a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, look, um, here's there's a, a lengthy number of putative counterexamples or issues with Carol's account. So I, lo- I love these like sort of '70s like Italian giallo films, and they're a bunch of weirdos just stabbing people. And a lot of people are inclined to call them horror films. And you could think that Batman's pathology is sufficiently proximate to those that like you want to lump it in. So like, yeah, horror adjacent. Uh, let me put it this way. If you say, hey, it's not a horror, and then you stop there, that's not enough, because there's so much weird that's going on. Um, it's probably the case that you want to start trying to delineate this like category of thriller in which you might stick like seven, for example, and maybe that 
that's at least one way of implementing Batman stories that it really crystallizes that genre. So like that that's surely right. I guess the question is like how much more do you have to say to honor that insight? And I think that's a good question. Um, would you consider Scott Snyder's run undetected before he went over to Batman Horror? Because it seemed pretty close to me. There weren't monsters, but it seemed pretty close. Yeah, I, um, yeah. this is the kind of case that I wonder about. Um, where, I mean, I, to my mind, once you figure out what you want to say about Arkham Asylum, you've probably got an account of what's going to happen for most atmospheric, super dark Batman. Um, and I think the, here's a weird case. Imagine a film that just consisted of smash cuts of really scary shit without a narrative. And one idea is like that atmospheric spookiness, that scariness, I'm inclined to think isn't a horror. It's a really weird experimental film. And I think that that shows you like just being spooky, dark, inciting kind of like you know tingling in the back of your neck. That's not enough to make it a horror. And so I'm inclined to think like as dark as you're going to go with Batman. Um, you still need to have that context where he's disgusted. I think that's probably the harder thing to get than the fear. And I, it wasn't clear to me that that's going to emerge from the Snyder stuff, but what, what do you think? Is that... It's hard to say, because the detective stuff is also Dick Grayson, and not Bruce Wayne, so he was more inclined to be disgusted, too. What do you think about that? Thanks. Yeah, that was the, you know, the black... It's, I think black. it's collected as the black man. Right on. Thanks, man. Another uh, suggestion for your reading list. Have you seen the animated adaptation of uh, uh, Gotham by Gaslight? I haven't. I mean, so Gotham by Gaslight is like, right. all these well, are also it's, um, ah. they, it's the same concept, but the story plays out a lot differently oh, cool. in animation. And because it's an animated movie feature, they're able to play it more horror moments than you could in the book. Because, like, you're not getting into Batman's head as much. You're reacting to the horror that goes on around you and... Uh, won't spoil the ending, but there's a scene where, like, you see in the killer's lair, like, the organs, like, all yeah, jars, that's... so it's pretty poor. Thanks, Ashley. I have a question for you. Do you, in your, like, research of, like, the different, um, the different, like, uh, iterations, did you see anything that was kind of, like, contradictory to, like, Epicurean sort of, like, followers? Like, like did, like, any of the animated series or maybe even some specific versions kind of make you think that there, this wasn't sort of a trend that kind of continued with Miller or the Burton films, or were they all pretty consistently Epicurean? I'm sure there is difference. Like, uh, it's not like in every, uh, it's represented in the same way, but like I started with this, the first, with the concept of hero, like how should I qualify Batman, whether he's fitting in the traditional uh, idea of hero, and uh, of course, there are. I, I guess, of course, there are like different variations of the same. Robin question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Damien. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I have this argument because the whole, you know, the whole relationship issue between Robin and Batman is Batman has always been kind of like the surrogate father figure, and then all of a sudden we throw Damien into the mix, who's the biological, you know, son. And so it's like, well, I have this ongoing argument among my friends where they're like. Damien is the most pure Robin because he's the only one that's actually Bruce Wayne's son. And my argument is that, no, it's Drake. Because Drake's the only one that actually chose to be Robin. Right. All the other ones, you know, like, when Dick Grayson comes to you, he's like, I'm going to give you this opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Jason Todd, he almost kind of made do it. Right. You know, Drake's the only one that said, you know what, you need me, and I'm going to do this. He went, Drake went out of his way to try to convince Dick Grayson, you need to be Robin again. Right. And because Batman didn't want no part of it. Right. So if he's not going to do it, there's nobody else around. I know how important this character is to Batman and what it represents to his psyche. Then I, I guess I'm going to do it. Right. He's willing to make the sacrifice. Yeah. So in my head, that makes him the one, the the, the best Robin if that can be such a thing. And I always looked as Damien as the entitled entitled little sob that walks into the room and go, "My dad built this. Right. That is my bat, my right. ball." Yeah. I, I mean, I like him a little better. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Those first few issues, I was like, "Please let him fall off the building." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they did run they did run a sword through him, and then at at a time where I thought, "Good, he's gone." No, he's not. Then. And Tomasi wrote this great Batman and Robin arc that made me go, man. Now I like this little booger, yeah. and I and I didn't I didn't want to. Give him a cow, and it's like ah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's an argument that you have. But I, right before Damien uh, enters the picture, Bruce Wayne actually adopts Dick Grayson, right. Right. where the other two were just wards. That Bruce goes out to say. All of this will be yours, and then that's when Morrison enters the picture. Do you think is the best one? I think, Tim, not just being biased to 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 myself (laughs) and the podcast, but Tim knows the the legacy of the character and knows how important the character, uh, the the mantle of Robin is, and what it does uh, for Batman. And his his need is always for the other person. it, Tim's needs are always secondary. What does Gotham City need? What does Bruce Wayne need? So um, he is the self, I would say, the selfless Robin, okay. and Damien is the selfish Robin. I'll buy that. Okay, I'm going to nitpick on that a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm going to disagree because Tim Drake did not seek out to be Robin. Tim Drake wanted Dick Grayson right. to go back yeah. to be Robin, and he fell into it. Right, you're kind of like, right. okay, well, no one else is going to do this. Somebody right. has to. And there, there was even a story from um, James Tynan uh, that uh, explored that. The only reason Tim stayed in that role, like, I'm going to do this once I, we got Batman back on track, I'm gone. And Tim just never found a way out. There was always something Tim kept piling on his plate, like, well, I could do this for Gotham, and I could do this. I can create all these programs and do all these things. And it causes somebody to say, you end up putting yourself in this place because of your need to want to help. Right. Yeah. And to kind of uh, argue against your friend that's not here about, you know, Damien being the most pure because he's actually Batman's son. I would say that, like, in biologically, yes, but Dick Grayson is, like, the one that spent the most time upbringing mm-hmm. with him. And then it, that gets into a whole thing, like, what makes a son? Like, is it biological or is it upbringing right. or whatever? Like, you have yeah. adopted families who... And right. Stuff like that too. So, I would say because of just the amount of influence that like Bruce had on Dick, like that was the most like pure son. And Jason probably spent like, and Bruce legally adopted, depending on the right. continuity, yeah. most of them at one point or another. You know, you also like, make the argument that Dick Grayson, especially as an adult, yeah, has kind of gone out of his way to make sure that I'm the now that he's chosen the night uh, the Nightwing role that I'm not going to be that you know like when Batman yeah. disappeared he becomes Batman for a while but not because he you know like I don't want to do this but somebody has to be Batman just like Drake did 
Well, several, several of them also couldn't have been adopted because their parents were still alive. Oh, sure. Stephanie did, Tim did, depending on which club they Right. And, and, and Jason did until his mother got killed. Yeah. Right. 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 It, it, it's along those lines, but uh, this is for uh, the podcast for Robin. Um, I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about the simulacra of family, right? Certainly we could all agree that Batman in some ways is about a guy who loses his family and builds a new it, one, right? There was a slide I wanted to, to put in that the Batman's this lone, dark knight. He has the largest family probably of, of any DC character probably. He's got a Batgirl, a Batwoman, two Robins, or four Robins, you know. The, the thing that he lost is the, the thing that he ended up replicating over and over and over again. So, that, so my question is really about that, about that idea of replication, that he's got wards and not adopted sons, right? Yeah. A father figure in um, an Alfred, but not, a, you know, not an adoptive father. There is these sort of like um, copies of copies of copies of family that happen throughout Robin. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that. I know you're starting to do that already. But. Yeah, I, I think it's just, it. looking at it, I... A friend of mine had said Batman is making Xerox copies of the of the only photo he has left that's in his mind of what of the of the thing he never got to have. So maybe in some mind, you know, I'm never going to have a child because uh, I never got to I never really got to have my parents. I never got to experience all these things that a normal child would. So everything is always fractured with him. He he brings in a child to to Wayne Manor, but. It's it's not his real son, so he's always trying to battle against when do I play father, when do I play protector, and even when a real child enters the room, he wasn't there at that child's birth and didn't even know it existed. He existed, so now he does have the father-son aspect right there, and ironically, at about the time Damien enters, Bruce Wayne is killed off so he doesn't even get a chance to bring that early upbringing that Dick Grayson actually ends up getting to do if, if that answers that question. I one, sir, like, there's something so demographically weird about the Batman Robin relationship what I think is also a function of like when it emerges right I mean you just think about in the in the face of sort of like two global wars the sort of weird roles of like masculinity and sort of like child rearing sort of emerges at this really weird time it might just be the case that like, if you read western comics around that time the way it depicts depicts relationships between like male adults and like males are so different, like head spinningly different. And so it might just be the case that we're kind of forced to look at that relationship. It's like an interesting holdover from a sort of an, an ancient time that ancient time, uh, long past time that yeah. it's kind of weird to try and replicate. I mean, I think it's a neat relationship because it requires us to think hard about. Um, the different kinds of similar of family and genuine family and what that... Well, it's not the first because you have other, like, sidekicks like Aqualad and Speedy. Sure. You have, like, yeah. a Tomahawk and, and Fancy Danner. Absolutely. Dan, uh, Dynamite. Dan, whatever his name was. Yeah. 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 So, like, Robin kind of began Hunting. that rather than... I'm sure there was, like, kind of, like, you know, surrogate son archetypes and, like, Westerns and stuff, but... Like, uh, I don't know if, they ever, the, if superheroes do psychics anymore, aside from that family. I think it's mostly out of tradition at this point, yeah. though, now, too. And like... I always looked at it as the... It, he was created for the POV point of view. The analogy I would use, I was a big Tigers fan. So I always wanted to be 
I wanted to play on the ball field with Lou Whitaker, Alan Trammell from the 84. I didn't want to be those characters, be be those people. I just wanted to be the guy out in left field so I could play with those. So looking at it through Robin's eyes, this was a way to, to create that character to go, well, the kids can't relate to Batman, but they can relate to Robin going, wow, how cool is it to hang out with this guy swinging from the rooftops? And then you get into that. There's an essay that Mark Hamill wrote where he explained, we were Robin. You know, we grew up. We were Robin, which I think is what makes Nightwing so cool because he gets to grow up, too, because we all grew up, too. And one interesting thing about the whole Dick Grayson, Bruce Wayne, father-son relationship, um, when Dick is at his, like, low points, like, he's not like Spider-Man where he's thinking about his fallen Uncle Ben. Dick almost never thinks about his parents, but when he's... He thinks about Bruce. He's always thinking about Bruce, probably more, yeah, more so than his own parents. I mean, just like any child does with his father, I, I am not going to be like this individual. And the farther you get away from that, the more you realize you are starting to become your become your father or your uncle. Batman with Damien and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> there were more than a couple of times where he was like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but... Right. Like... <laughs> I, t- I would never say this, and then you end up going, my father said that to me. Yeah. <laughs> Which, ironically, my father is sitting in this room right now. <laughs> Isn't there also some aspect of the merger of the art and commerce here at the time? The Batman family started to explode. They weren't just making carbon copies of Robin. DC was making carbon copies of books they could sell. And yeah. Characters equals more books they could sell. Yeah. You mean how much is about money? <laughs> Dang. I got a question for, for Bob actually. So um, I'm really in, so I'm really interested in the kind of intellectual effort of podcasting and what there's no intellectual effort. <laughs> You you heard me speak. I got no. no, I mean, look. Obviously, there's there's so much enjoyment extracted from, it, but there's also this yeah. broader effort to try and come to an understanding with respect to like this massively co-authored serial fiction. Mm. And I guess one thing I, I think about is the way in which, obviously, like we all have a sort of happy accidents about what drives us to pursue a particular podcast or one sort of like field of study. But I guess um, suppose you had a magic wand, and with your magic wand, you wave it, and you could reorganize the entire Batman podcast universe in what you take to be the most effective way to understand Batman. Does, that, does the question make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously it reflects various pigadillas that people have, but it, like, if we're, if we're aimed at understanding Batman, like, what's the right way to do it? I mean, so you're, you're doing this sort of Tim Drake Robin podcast. Yeah. I'm sure it's sort of spinning out at the Robin more generally, but you might think, you know, um, particular runs, eras. I mean, if we want to understand Batman, what's at the top and what are the sort of the, the subdivisions or should it just be chaos I mean I, I think it should be I, I think I'm contract, contractually obligated to say go to the batmanuniverse.net uh, I'll plug for my buddies um, that and that's and that's how checks I mail. yeah checks in the mail thank you um, I think that's that's how Batman is it's like organized chaos you can kind of start at the top of Batman but there are so many subsets and genres it's more Batman is a very malleable character. So depending on, I like more of the horror side of Batman, or I like there there is a flavor and a taste for everyone. So trying to wave the magic wand and go, no, this needs to be the timeline of Batman. How many other things could you potentially be uh, wrapping out? So it's more finding a character that spoke to myself through Batman and go, well, this is where I'm starting my timeline and my journey from. I don't know that hopefully answered the question. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Uh, how are we on time? You're over. 
Are we over? Give you folks a little bit of a break here. Unless there's any other questions or comments, folks, and then we can uh, before we get into our next session, give folks enough time. All right. Well, that is it as far as Robin Everyone Loves the Drake is concerned for the Bowling Green State University. Now, I would be on one more panel again on Friday. That would be the very last panel at the end of the day as part of the Batman on Film Roundtable discussion. And like we said, you'll be able to hear that over at Batman on Film. And then again on Saturday, I joined Ryan for his nightfall panel. So that was very gracious of Ryan to allow me on there since I didn't leave any wiggle room for Ryan on this one. Again, with our, with the original schedule conflict that we had, did not think Ryan was going to have the opportunity because we were speaking at the same time. So after the dust settled and the schedules got reorganized, it was like, Oh, well we could. And Ryan's like, no, go ahead. It's fine. He's like, it's more about just getting together, being at the conference, getting the word out about the show or the two shows. And he said, just celebrating Batman's 80th anniversary. So it was a lot of fun. So big hats off to Chuck Coletta and Matthew Donahue of the Bowling Green State University Popular Culture Library. It was a, a wonderful experience to be part of. And the journey for this continued one more week. Our local paper, the Finley Courier, was there in attendance for the conference. I didn't realize it at the time, and my wife had stepped out. And as she was coming back in, a reporter named Sarah Arthurs had said, hey, I'd like to interview you for uh, the paper about the Batman Popular Conference. And my wife was like, oh, no, I'm not speaking here, but my uh, husband is inside uh, this room, and he had just got done presenting that that long ago. So Sarah had come up and taken a picture uh, with Ryan and I and interviewed both of us. I didn't know what would become of that, but a week later on Friday, April 19th, in the main section of the Finley Courier, there was a little write-up and the interview that I had with the Finley Courier. And I'm going to read you this segment here. I won't read Ryan's. I'll let Ryan read that. And at the time that this is being recorded, it has been sent. I bought a copy of the paper for Ryan. I thought, hey, this is really cool. We're both uh, in the newspaper. So hopefully he'll get this in time to record Batman on film, but I will read my excerpt from the paper and, you know, some of the, some interviews they'll do for newspapers because she was interviewing multiple people. And I thought, well, it'll be truncated or they'll say, Oh, here's Rob Myers, blah, blah, blah. And it'll only be a little bit. Everything that I had said in the interview was in here. So that was really cool that my wife happened to be stepping out of the room to be able to have her come in to uh, interview me for the newspaper with the Batman conference. And the headline reads, Holy 80th Birthday Batman. Conference celebrates history of the Cape Crusader. So I won't read the whole entire article here. It is a great article. You can read this online. The section for Robin Everyone Loves the Drake says Rob Myers of Mount Blanchard hosts the podcast Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. He spoke on the panel noting that there have been multiple Robins and he focuses on Tim Drake. Awesome. Robin is the physical embodiment of why he's trying to do this, he said, adding later Batman needs a Robin. Myers said Batman is seen as the lone dark knight, but in fact, he has a long family, including Batgirl, Batwoman, and multiple Robins. The thing that he has lost is the thing he ends up replicating over and over again, he said. Why are we still talking about Batman 80 years later? It resonates. It gives a sense of hope and wonder, Myers said. Batman deals with overcoming loss, he said. And there's a sense that you could become anything. You may not have been born on Krypton and can fly, but anyone could be Batman. 
So that was uh, the little write-up that uh, Bowling Green State University and uh, Sarah had interviewed me for. So that put a nice little button on the whole thing that I didn't think I was going to get interviewed by the newspaper. And Ryan got his uh, blurb in there as well. So I don't want to steal his thunder. Uh, He had a nice little uh, chunk in there as well. But the whole conference was an experience I'm going to remember for quite a long time. I was honored to be asked to be part of it. I was nervous to be part of it. But once I got going, I thought things went very well. And I'm really proud of the Q&A that the three panelists, uh, myself included, I think handled ourselves very well. There were a lot of intelligent questions asked. And there was just a lot of fun being had on multiple panels and people just having a good time with one another. And I really enjoyed the two days. It went by in a flash and uh, I just, I I couldn't be happier with the experience. And again, Bowling Green State University, thank you for allowing everyone loves the Drake and Batman on film. So like we said, at the time of this recording, we're not sure of what the episode number is going to be for Batman on film, but I will make sure when that episode is released, that if we record another Drake episode, At that time, we will let you know. If not, there will be a Twitter notification to lead you over to Batman on film. This is where we're going to end this episode. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of the podcast at ELTD podcast on Twitter. Ryan's Twitter handle is SMB underscore Ryan. And my personal Twitter account is drummer Rob 10. So on the behalf of Ryan, this is Rob, and you've been listening to the Batman universe.net. And more importantly, you've been listening to everyone loves the Drake. Take care. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at RobinELTDPodcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media, also over at our host, TBU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.